Close Horse is brought to you with support from the following sustainable brands. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room all while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the Party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. But Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Karen Kinney Studio. Located in western Massachusetts, Karen specializes in handcrafted earrings from found, upcycled, and repurposed fabrics, as well as other eco-friendly curios, all with a hint of nostalgia, a dollop of whimsy, a dash of color, and 100% fun. Karen is an artist slash designer who believes the materials we use matter. See more on Instagram at Karen Kinney Studio or online at www.cKinney.com. Gentle Vibes Vintage. 
We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage, creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at thumbprintdetroit. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. Located in Whistler, Canada, Velvet Underground is a velvet jungle full of vintage and secondhand clothing, plants, a vegan cafe, and lots of rad products from other small sustainable businesses. Our mission is to create a brand and community dedicated to promoting self-expression, as well as educating and inspiring a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle, both for the people and the planet. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. For the month of December, St. Evans is supporting New Immigrant Community Empowerment, a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the lives of vulnerable and precarious immigrant workers and their families with a focus on day laborers, domestic workers, and newly arrived immigrants. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearsaintevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st dot evens. That's where St. Evans. Country Feedback is a mom-and-pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul, and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl, or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns, handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed, made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns and thoughtfully made notions. 
slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at republica underscore unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Picnicware, a slow fashion brand ethically made by hand from vintage and dead stock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnicware in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnicware recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnicware offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Welcome to Clothes Horse, the podcast that is moving to Austin, Texas in like, I don't know, 12 days. Wow. So what that means is this will be the last episode of Clothes Horse for 2021. Um, You're probably not surprised to hear that, right? Next weekend is Christmas. The weekend after that is New Year's and tons of podcasts take off during that time period. It's just, I never have. (laughs) I even skipped any of the holidays, but There's a lot to do with the move. I'm super stressed out. I'm going to be packing and cleaning like a maniac in the next week and a half alongside, you know, working my job and helping other people with other things. So last episode of the year, we're going to be back next year with all kinds of amazing guests and content. And I'm, I'm really excited for 2022. Oh, I guess I should also mention that I'm your host, Amanda, and this is episode 111. The focus of today's episode is the second half of my conversation with Sarah and Doris of Fashion Forward, a New York-based not-for-profit think tank established to challenge the conventional discourse around the fashion system. If you haven't listened to the first half of this conversation, please, please go do that now. Uh, Sarah and Doris have so many amazing insights that you, you just have to hear. Today, we'll be continuing our conversation about how we can be a better, stronger, more active community. And somehow, believe it or not, that all connects to Chugi. If you don't know what Chugi is, don't worry, I'm going to break that down for you too. It all makes sense when you hear it, I promise. Before that, We'll be hearing audio essays from Gabriella Antonis and Christy of Rosie Lynn and Company. But before we jump into all of that, <laughs> let's take a few moments here to thank some of our Patreon supporters. First is Thrift Babe, my first patron from Denmark. Wow, so international, guys. She runs Thrift Planet, which is a modern vintage store. You can find as at thrift underscore planet on Instagram. Next is Jennifer Simonovich of Gainesville, Florida, who might be my first scientist patron. I'm not sure, but she's definitely one of very few. I feel extremely honored. Thank you so much for your support, Jennifer. 
Pearl Moon lives in Australia, and she's another patron of Clothes Horse. She makes beautiful clothing that is really a work of art. You can find her on Instagram as at Pearl Red Moon Art. Go check it out. Thanks, Pearl. Last of course not least, is Amy Chan. So here's the deal. I was completely unsuccessful in my attempts to find a fun fact about Amy, but I'll tell you this, every Amy Chan that I did find on Instagram and on Facebook was doing something really cool. So I can only assume that all Amy Chans are super rad people. So thank you so much for supporting Clothes Horse, Amy. If you're interested in joining this illustrious squad of the most amazing people, consider becoming a Clothes Horse patron. You can learn more at patreon.com slash Clothes Horse Podcast. All right, well, moving along here, we're coming down the home stretch with the small business audio essays. Today, we'll be hearing from Christy of Rosie Lynn and Company, followed by a very familiar voice, Gabriella Antonas. So let's take a listen. Hi, I'm Christy. I live in a small town in southern Alberta in Canada. I have a very small business called Rosie Linen Co. I make little dresses out of vintage and thrifted fabrics. I have loved sewing since I was a teenager. I've loved thrifting for as long as I can remember. I had a big stash of cute vintage sheets that I had thrifted with nothing really to do with them. Then I found a cute dress pattern on Etsy and combined the two and here I am. My vision for my business is that the customer can pick their fabric they want, choose the size of dress they need, and I custom make the dress just for them. I've been doing some local markets this past year, which ends up with me just sewing up dresses in whatever fabric and sizes I choose, which has worked out pretty well. I have loved connecting with other makers through the market community. The support from them has helped with my business process immensely. My favorite thing about running my little shop has been when moms and little girls love the dresses and they keep buying more and more. When I hear they are their favorite dresses, it motivates me to keep making them. I'm so small and currently very local. I'd love to expand to make dresses for girls everywhere. I definitely have a lot to learn about running a business and social media. That's what I need to work on on getting my dresses out to the world. I love the close horse community and the things that I have learned just reinforces my desire to have my business be ethical and to use fabrics that are already out there. Usually it's mostly bed sheets, some um, tablecloths I've made dresses out of, duvet covers. Just there's such great fabrics out there already and It's there, and I love using something old to make something new and fun. And I hope that I can continue to grow my business and build and get my little dresses and hopefully expand. I've tried to make um, bigger dresses, women's size, but those haven't sold as well. But I'd love to expand into dresses for everyone. Uh, That would be my dream. Um, hopefully I can get there someday. Thank you. Hello, listeners of the Close Horse Podcast. It's your friend, Gabriella, with one L, Antonis. 
You may remember hearing my elevator pitch to you in the Pegasus ads in the beginning of every episode of Close Horse. It's the only podcast I listen to that I actually listen through every ad because I am a proud member of this community. For those of you shameless ad skippers, I'm going to go into greater detail here. So I hope you keep my services and offerings in mind on your fashion journey. I have also had the honor to be a guest on episodes 40, 41, and 60, as well as calling in on the Close Horse Hotline a few times. What motivated me to start a small business? As cliche as it sounds and without going into too much detail, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit and drive, even though I am a true artist and a creative type. I'm left-handed, but also a type A personality, and being an entrepreneur runs in my family. What motivated me to start doing custom work for individual clients and businesses is my hustle. I have never put my garments I've made on Etsy or Poshmark because I don't want anyone to get a cut of my profits but me. When living in Baltimore after graduating college from the Art Institute of Philadelphia in December of 2017, I kept coming into contact with people who were seeking out someone like me who could do every step of the design and production process for them. And that is what I have ended up doing for my clients, more so than one-off custom garments. I knew since the beginning of my time earning my BA that I have a natural trend forecasting ability and that I am in tune with the zeitgeist. What made me want to start a small business is my ability to take a client's idea slash inspiration, make a sketch, and then produce a sample that is accurate to what they imagined. Then, after sourcing fabric, getting a client's approval of design and fabric, I grade the pattern, which means doing a pattern for all the sizes a company is offering. Then I cut and sew all the garments myself. Since 98% of my freelance work has been through the model of taking a brand from just an idea of a line to completed production, I have to always begin with a consultation. I have found that people outside of the fashion industry or newcomers to entrepreneurship have a misconception that they want to start a fashion design company, thus a fashion line, but about half of the time they are not serious and they just want to have, they just have an idea for a graphic design that they just want to be screen printed on a t-shirt or a hoodie. To be clear, this doesn't mean you want to be a fashion designer. This is an idea for a graphic design that you want to use fast fashion, already made blanks. And I refer these types to local companies always to do the screen printing and embroidery for them. This is why a consultation is necessary. One, because I do not work for free. Two, because... I have to hash out their idea and diagnose their best plan of action. And three, because 
100% of the time, my first meeting with businesses who are looking for someone to do everything for them ends up being a one-on-one class on the fashion industry. Since the pandemic has given us the Clothes Horse podcast, I can now tell them if they want a free crash course, they can listen to the Clothes Horse podcast. And for this, I am grateful. I'm, I became a Pegasus because I welcome business, whether they are just at the beginning of their company's journey or if they are established already and just need to lighten their load. What being a micro business means for me? It means that I am a one woman band. I don't have an office or a studio. All the work is completed in my home and I am not at a point where I need to bring on any employees. It means that the algorithm changes that Facebook, aka Instagram, have implemented has limited my ability to be discovered organically. Therefore, all of my growth in followers and engagement is due to word of mouth and grassroots activism of my brand. I am passionate about what I do because I see my activism as my art form. As I stated, I am a micro business, so that means I do have a full-time job, so when I am doing work slash creating garments or visual art pieces for my business slash customers, it is the only creative outlet that I really have time for. I do every pop-up and trunk show that I am invited to. On my days off, I will be selling my garments and art that I've made and some vintage I've collected four times a month, every Tuesday. From now on, you can catch me at the French market if you're in the New Orleans area. It is my pleasure to be a part of this community. I love New Orleans because this is the first place I've lived where I can really see that in this city, there are people in the fashion community that are dedicated to slow fashion. There are many designers here, And even my friend's boutique, Slow Down Nola, where I do pop-ups and trunk shows. It's more than just a couple vintage stores for tourists. Places like Slow Down and all the markets that are here give many artists and designers the opportunity to make a living, make money doing their craft. What am I doing in the name of progress, not perfection? Well, currently... I would say I'm a representative and an ally for the slow fashion, pay up, sustainable, clothes horse, if you will, movement. While I'm in the process of growing my customer base so that I may go from a micro business to being able to work for myself full time, I still have a job where I'm a bartender and a server. I talk not only my customers that I wait on about the clothes horse movement, but my coworkers. I answer their questions about why fast fashion is bad and what we can do to make progress. I also am an advocate for home economics in school. That's one of the things I talk about a lot to people. I mend clothes for free for my family, coworkers, and friends because I do believe we all need to put love and energy into our communities and not just take, take, take all the time. I talk about this movement and 
educate and explore every day to everyone in my life, whether it's people in my love life or coworkers or friends or family. I hope to be a voice in their heads that says, say no to fast fashion, even if I can't get them to listen to all of the episodes of Clothes Horse. I hope to make a personal impact on every person's understanding of where we are as the public versus the fashion industry. Because we all know, as consumers, like our money is as powerful as our vote. We know that. If you're a loyal Clothes Horse listener, it's one of the mottos. Like For those of us who understand the fashion industry, it is our duty to take the time and energy to educate because without that, we can't make progress for the future. Please follow me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Clubhouse if you want to connect um, and just support me. I need the grassroots support and I always follow back other makers. Um, I'm on all platforms as my name. I'm going to spell it now. G-A-B-R-I-E-L-A-A-N-T-O-N-A-S. I'm on Pinterest too. And my portfolio website is GabrielleAntonis.CarbonMade.com. And I will be posting my already made garments that I have to sell on my Instagram and my Depop where I'm Gabriella Antonis as well. I say Gabriella with one L because there's a, believe it or not, a person with a private Instagram that's Gabriella with two L's Antonis. So please support me. You'll know it's me from my bio. Um... And my portfolio link is in the website and my Instagram. So yeah, from this point on, if you're not in the New Orleans area and can't catch me at the French Market, um, you can see what I have that's already made to sell on Instagram and Depop on my feed. And if you would like custom work for me, you can email me or DM me or text me. So my email is... Gabriella Antonis Art at gmail.com. Thank you. Peace and love. I just want to say again, thank you to everyone who took the time to record an audio essay. I've really loved hearing all of them, and I hope all of you have too. With Gabriella's essay, um, I almost edited out every mention of Clothes Horse because I've gotten in my head, as I do, I get in my head a lot. <laughs> I've got in my head about including nice stuff, complimentary stuff about the podcast in messages that I receive. Like I've I've been editing it all out. Um, And that's because earlier this year, this is so silly. As I'm even saying this out loud to you, I'm I'm getting annoyed with myself. (laughs) I saw some comments on Reddit about how much some people who had been listening to Clothes Horse hated when I included any positive feedback from listeners in their hotline messages. So I started editing out anything nice from the messages, just like sticking to the message, what's important here, cut everything else out. We don't need to be self-congratulatory here. I felt like such a, I felt like I must be a really embarrassing person because I hadn't thought to cut that stuff out before. Um, Not because I have a big ego, but just because, you know, I want to give people their chance to say what they want to say. So yeah, I started editing out all of that. 
It's so weird, right? Why would I do that? I don't know. I don't know. I got in my head, okay? Let's never do that again. (laughs) I've been saving Gabriella's message for this episode because it ties, it really ties in just so nicely to the conversation I've been having with Sarah and Doris. And that feels good to me because it seems like a lot of us are thinking the same thing at the same time. And we're also thinking, how can we do a better job of spreading information, of growing this community into a movement, of getting the critical mass of people that we need, making change all at once, that's called collective action, to really make a major impact, You know, really enact some changes out there. I love that Gabriella is thinking about that. I loved her examples of the things that she does. I am always thinking about it. I'm sure you are too. And it's just so gratifying to hear that we're all on the same page. This means that we're ready to do even more and do even better next year than we have this year. I'm hoping that I can work with other people in the community to kind of come up with some tools and suggestions to get us all there. It's so exciting. I'm I'm starting 2022 with a lot of optimism and I hope you are too. Hey everyone, I'm so excited to announce that one of my favorite brands, New Works, is an official sponsor of Clothes Horse. I've been a fan of New Works for a long time because they have unique prints created by some of my favorite artists. If you're looking for an article of clothing that you can proudly outfit repeat for years and years and still receive compliments from strangers everywhere you go, Newworks is the brand for you. Seriously, one of my all-time favorite Newworks purchases is the Dahlia mock neck dress in the ash and chest print Better Days. Everywhere I go, someone is blown away. I may have recently received a free breakfast taco from a barista just for telling them where I got my dress. I've also found that while all of the Newworks prints are unique conversation starters, All of the pieces themselves are easy to mix and match into an almost infinite array of outfits. Dress them up, dress them down. The outfit repeating potential here is massive. The silhouettes are designed to make you feel good, happy, and just generally full of positive vibes. And Newworks offers sizes extra small through 5X with plans to continue to expand sizing. And oh yeah, they make adorable kids clothes too. Well, now that we've covered all of the aesthetic reasons I love New Works, let's get into the serious stuff. In a world where it's progress, not perfection, New Works is constantly striving to do better and better, always with an eye on progress when it comes to sustainability. All New Works products are made by a small team in limited batches in California. You won't see any ridiculous waste over here. In fact, the company is constantly working to reduce their waste. As part of this commitment, Newworks has been offering packs of scraps for all of you crafty types to turn into your own cool, unique projects. And they even sold a few zero waste pieces recently, which was really so cool and something you just don't see out there as much as you should, right? On top of that, Newworks now offers Full Circle, a resale platform for Newworks products, because the idea is that these clothes should remain in circulation and be worn just as much as possible for as long as possible. 
Newworks is a woman-owned, women-run business. There are no venture capitalists or big investors involved, just a small team of incredibly nice people. And they're working hard to do the best they can for the planet and its people. Everyone involved in creating Newworks products are paid a living wage. And Newworks tries to source all of their materials in the USA and work only with incredibly nice people. Their hope is that every Newworks purchase will be a shining gem in your closet that you will cherish forever or hand down to someone you love. Once again, I'm just so proud and so honored to have this amazing brand as a sponsor of my work here at Clothes Horse. Go see why I love them so much at newworks.com or find them on Instagram at newworks. And that's new N-O-O. Today in my conversation with Sarah and Doris, we're going to be talking about Chugi. That's C-H-E-U-G-Y. I'm sure there are plenty of you who are like, what the heck is that? (laughs) Others of you probably already know about it because you're really plugged into the internet or you've listened to my other podcast, The Department. We did a few episodes about Chugi earlier this year. I'll link to them into the show notes because if you're curious about Chugi, I really think you should go give them a listen especially if you want a more thorough explanation of Chugi and how it relates to its predecessor, another term I hate, basic, as in a way of describing a woman, a basic woman. Okay, that's not the term that people use often with basic, but once again, just go listen to those episodes to figure it out. The short answer about what is Chugi is that it's an adjective that was wildly popular early this, earlier this year on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. And I would approximate that BuzzFeed did about nine gazillion articles and quizzes about it. It means trying too hard or out of date, out of style, out of trend. It is most definitely an insult. And I'm sure it hurts a lot to be described that way. Here's a long, but definitely not exhaustive list of things that are allegedly chuggy. Are you ready? Sit back, relax, take a sip of water. Here we go. Skinny jeans, lasagna, loving friends, the office or the Simpsons, Starbucks, pumpkin spice, spinning classes, hashtag girl boss. Okay, well that one I'm behind. Let's cancel hashtag girl boss. Chrissy Teigen, another not a fan. Okay, fine. I'm agreeing with some of these. Frosé, totally disagreeing there. Frosé is delicious and refreshing. French Bulldogs, Pop Sockets, Rose Gold, the phrase, not today, Satan. Charcuterie boards, no, we are not ruining charcuterie boards. Denim jackets, marble print, succulents, tote bags with words on them. Herbal Essences Shampoo, Calling Target Target, and White Claw Seltzer. You know, I'm just going to mention that I did take a BuzzFeed quiz, which was basically like, are you chuggy or not? I scored a 5%. I only picked one thing that was chuggy on the list that I love, and that is White Claw Seltzer, and I'm not ashamed. Although, to be fair, there are much better seltzers out there right now. (laughs) But it was the first one. 
I'm not, I'm not going to throw White Claw overboard just so I don't get labeled chuggy. What else is chuggy? Reposting all the birthday shout out stories you got on Instagram. Well, that's, that's just rude. Of course you should repost those. How about those water bottles which have timings of when to drink? Or having multiple highlights saved on your Instagram profile that are all coordinated. Yes, you might be chuggy. Is it a big deal? Uh, probably not. I wouldn't lose sleep over it. But let's, let's break it down a little bit more. Because that is just the beginning of the very long list of all the things that at some point someone has declared as chuggy. Like if we wrote them all on a scroll, imagine that we made a scroll just to make this very important list of chuggy things. That scroll would just roll and roll and roll. It would go across your house and out the door and into the street and an Amazon truck would run it over, but it would be in the neighbor's yard across the way and it would just keep going, keep going. If you're in an apartment, I hope you're on the top floor because that scroll is rolling down, down all the stairs, out the front door, down the block. So many things have been called chuggy. Since there's no scientific data that indicates whether or not something is chuggy, there's no test or apparatus that measures the level of innate chugginess an object, an idea, or a behavior seems to have, well, it seems like all things deemed chuggy were chosen by people who hated something and wanted the rest of the world to join in. Was lasagna poor, innocent, delicious lasagna added to this list by someone with celiac disease who was always sick of feeling left out. Listen, I get it because I also have celiac disease and I get sick of being left out, which is why I would like to put bread on this list. But I'll also counter that I recently found some incredible gluten-free lasagna noodles at Aldi. So Maybe we no longer need to turn the world against lasagna. What I'm really trying to say here is what is chuggy or not? Chuggy has nothing to do with really anything other than personal feelings. If you want to know more, if you like torturing yourself or getting riled up, just give it a Google and get ready to be shocked about how much time, how many pieces have been published on the internet about what's chuggy. I have a lot of mixed feelings about Chuggy, as I'll explain in my conversation with Sarah and Doris. My first reaction to it was like, oh, great, another way to shit on women for their tastes and interest. Whether it's Lifetime movies, rom-coms, white wine, Lilith Fair, fruity cocktails, which, by the way, are delicious, pumpkin spice everything, scented candles, throw pillows, etc. Our culture as a whole has always, and I mean always, always loved dismissing things that women like as having less of value than things that men like. Think about it. Books, movies, candles, fragrances, foods, all of it. If we like it, if the women of the world like it, it must just be a little not as good. That reminds me of the second person I ever blocked from the Close Horse Instagram. It's a very short list, but it's an infamous list in my mind. It was a man involved in the vintage trade who really got his manties in a bunch when I posted, taste is a classist construct. And I also said, 
bad taste doesn't exist. I believe both of those statements so much. I've devoted so much time to thinking about it, reading about it, writing about it, knowing that I 100% stand by those beliefs. Well, this guy was outraged. He called me a hack who was just posting clickbait because in his opinion, bad taste certainly exists. And anyone who says otherwise, like me, probably has bad taste. Blocked. I mean, he said a lot more than that to me, but yeah, blocked. So blocked, blocked so hard. But to be clear, Anyone who trades heavily on the idea of good taste and bad taste, including the entire fashion industry, is so wrapped up in classism that they can't see that taste is a personal choice. It's a personal preference rather than a metric that can be measured clearly using data or some other tool. There is nothing out there that will say, Here's good taste and here's bad taste because taste isn't measurable. As I mentioned months ago in my conversation with Carrie, gosh, that was so many episodes ago. We talked about my story somewhat. I've been told by different executives over the years that I have a so-called legendary taste, that other retailers in the fashion industry are aware of me my style, and my work. And therefore, that somehow qualifies me as a tastemaker. Although I did have one CEO tell me that they were concerned that I probably had bad taste because I'd worked for a very large retailer for a long time that she felt had bad taste in general. Many other people would disagree. Who cares? It's all fast fashion. I don't know why we're trying to be cooler or more superior to one another, but that's how that industry works. That's a whole other episode. Still, somehow I've earned this label as tastemaker from my work in the fast fashion industry. And I won't lie, at first pass, that feels like an honor. Because the girl who grew up in the trailer park, who would never be pretty or size zero or rich or any of the other things that seem to qualify women as special in the fashion industry, that girl longed to hear that there was something special, something exceptional that qualified her, me, to be a part of that allegedly glamorous and so important machine. But really, what legendary taste means is that I'm really good at spotting trends and guessing what people will want to buy. That means I'm a good buyer, but is that a good thing? Being able to create just the right thing that will get people to spend money when they already have plenty of other perfectly good things at home? I don't know. I don't know if I'd want that on my tombstone. You know what I mean? She was good at getting people to buy things they didn't need when they had perfectly good stuff at home. Would that fit? I don't want it on my tombstone anyway. (laughs) But back to Chugi. There's a lot of classism wrapped up in Chugi. There's a lot of classism wrapped up in its predecessor, Basic. But like I said, you'll have to go listen to the department to hear all about that. Chugi implies that one must be able to adopt the latest trend and then dispose of it as fast as it goes out of trend, which means you have to be able to afford a constantly changing wardrobe. 
constantly changing home decor, constantly changing everything. You have to have the economic privilege of following every trend. And if you can't, well, guess what? You're chuggy. Chuggy is a great filter, if you believe in it, to keep out poor people, older people, people in rural areas, people with little disposable income, larger people who are largely overlooked by the fashion industry and therefore don't find a lot of the trendiest stuff in their size. It's a great way to keep out everyone that the fashion industry and the food industry and the art industry and every other industry has been trying to filter out for a long time. Chugi is just another easy way of gatekeeping, albeit one that has the seal of approval from BuzzFeed. It's a way of telling someone that they don't belong, that you don't want them around because you, yes, you are superior to them in some way or another. It's the equivalent of telling someone that they have bad taste, which, as we know, is just another way of revealing yourself as a classist jerk. I also, not going to lie here, have gotten in my head a few times over the past year wondering if Chugi was invented or at least heavily promoted by a retail industry that is so unbelievably desperate to get you to buy more clothes and other stuff from them during a time where there are a lot less events and there are a lot less reasons to buy lots of clothes and other stuff like we were before. Because Chugi says, hey, that thing you've been wearing or using for a long time, yeah, you should be embarrassed to wear it now because you're just telling the world that you're either A, poor, B, old, C, uncool, or D, all of the above. All those BuzzFeed lists of chuggy things will motivate you to throw out your skinny jeans. I don't know what kind of pants you're wearing then. I didn't find out what the anti chuggy bottoms are. You'll toss out your pumpkin spice candle. You'll buy some new stuff. You'll get rid of the lasagna pan you've been using. And you'll buy a bunch of new kitchen gadgets to cook cool, non-chuggy food. Like, like what? I, I don't know. It's, it's probably not soup, which is too bad because I love soup. Soup's probably chuggy too. I could probably find a list that says number 978, soup. <laughs> nobody's allowed to say anything bad about soup around here by the way but we're all afraid of being uncool or what ed whatever adjective replaces cool in your vocabulary we're afraid of looking less than great to others how about that because i know someone is going to send me a message saying that they don't care about being cool but i'll guarantee they worry a lot about what their coworkers or neighbors or friends at the creative reuse think of them when they're not around. We're all, all of us, afraid of not fitting in, of looking bad, of being somehow the wrong thing just by being ourselves. I think back to my first year at college and it, so disappointing, so painful. As the kid who never fit in at school, high school, middle school, elementary school. I never fit in with my family. I'd always been the weird, smart, ugly girl who was harassed for my thrift store clothes and just my weird interests and my general existence. 
I had gotten through all of that by telling myself it will be different in college. Raise your hand if you were doing the same thing or it'll be different when I move to New York City. It'll be different when I go to band camp. We all have done that, right? My best friend Shannon's dad, Mr. Lynch, would always tell us, I know it seems bad now, but things are going to be a lot different and a lot better at college. That's where people will appreciate you. You know, neither Shannon nor I were allowed to drive. Boys weren't interested in us. Our impeccable grades disqualified us from ever being popular. And we were known to do some dumb stuff like buy brand new Doc Martens and then get her sister, who was allowed to drive, to back over them with a car a few times to break them in. That's what we were doing with our spare time. But I like to think that Mr. Lynch saw the bigger picture there and truly believed that we were special and we would come to learn that when we found ourselves in our true element. And to be fair, isn't that what we all want? Mr. Lynch passed away a few years ago and I I couldn't stop thinking of him. I still think about him pretty regularly and what a great presence he had been in my otherwise lonely, anxiety-riddled teenage life. So I'm sad to say, Mr. Lynch, that college was disappointing, but thank you for giving me the hope that it would be better. When I got to college, I didn't fit in. The kids I went to school with were rich, like really rich. One of my roommates had gone to boarding school, and my other roommate was from one of the wealthiest families in Singapore. Meanwhile, I was poor white trash from a small town. It was It was so uncomfortable. And you have to remember too that this was a time when people thought it was fun or ironic to describe things as white trash or engage in so-called white trash things like, I don't know, wearing trucker hats or drinking PBR or like tubing in the river or something. Every time someone would be like, oh my God, that's so white trash or I'm trying out my white trash look or invite me to a white trash party. I would want to die. I would want to die of the embarrassment of just being born the way I was born, which is the worst kind of embarrassment. (laughs) I felt embarrassed by my collection of thrift store vintage clothes and all my band tees because those bands that I loved so much in high school weren't cool in the big city. And no one wore vintage clothes, which is crazy to me to think about now, but that was just how it was. I went to school with rich kids. All I could think of all of this was I just wish I could buy a whole bunch of brand new clothes, throw out everything else I own, and recreate myself so I can finally fit in here. Labeling someone as chuggy has the same effect as being the girl who wore an alien workshop t-shirt and a thrifted polyester rainbow striped skirt to the first day of class where everyone else was wearing J. Crew. It reminds you that you are wrong. Everyone else is right. And that the best thing you can do as the so-called chuggy person is start all over by throwing out everything you already own and buying something new. Chuggy, the concept of chuggy is consumerism. They're practically synonymous, right? And yes, I'm going to tell you, I've seen grown as adults toss out their skinny jeans Not because they didn't like them anymore, but because someone made fun of them. As a buyer, I've often been involved in marketing strategy 
And the question that always comes up as we're working on an email blast or a series of social posts or even signage in the stores is, what is the call to action? In other words, what can we say or show that will get people to buy something? In Chugi's case, it's the ultimate call to action. You don't want to be Chugi, so get to shopping. I also have a lot of other feelings about Chugi, a more optimistic take, if you will, that I'll be sharing in my conversation with Sarah and Doris. So let's jump right in. This is a good time to make that shift. And if we don't, if we lose sight of that and get mired in fighting with one another or just deciding that we're giving up and using all the K-cups we ever can, uh, we're losing this really great opportunity, this window where we can continue all the momentum that has happened in the past year. I even think of like the pay up movement. You know, I have worked as a buyer for my entire career. So I always knew that orders were being randomly canceled on factories all the time. With And companies could do that. They'd never had to have any level of accountability. Yes, in the early days of the pandemic, a, a massive amount of orders were canceled all at once, but this has been something that has been happening constantly in this century and has, you know, been really affecting garment workers in a very bad way. I mean, even just like leaving an entire town that is based, whose entire population relies on one factory, deciding to move to another factory to get good costing, and that entire town loses its livelihood. Like this has been happening for a very long time, but most people didn't know that that was even something that could happen. Most people didn't know that like retailers and brands don't generally own their own factories. They didn't know that they had technically the legal right to cancel an order anytime. And so this was very eye-opening. And enough voices were mobilized to make that change and hold some of these brands accountable. Of course, there are some who never responded, never changed anything. And for me, those are like the Mm -hmm. most problematic brands actually. But I mean, there was a tremendous amount of progress there and awareness and brands were afraid They were afraid if they didn't give in and pay those factories and those workers that they were going to lose customers. And I think while I don't want all of us to exist in a world of fear, I do think it's not always bad for retailers to exist feeling a little fearful, right? I know. I mean, it would be really great if like we wouldn't have to come to that and they would just be guided by their good morals. But I mean, that's a second best option. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it worked, you know, it worked. And it was like just millions of people all over the world taking to the internet because we couldn't go anywhere because most of us were in quarantine and yet it still happened. And that Right there, I mean, that is something that we should carry with us all the time as a reminder of what we can do when we work together. Well said. Thanks. Do what I can. Um, okay. It's a good sound bite. <laughs> I, I never think of that at the time, and then someone else will like point it out to me later. So thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Okay, I have, an, I have feelings on Chugi. I have a point and a counterpoint about Shugi that we can talk about. (laughs) 
All right, I'm I'm all ears. Okay. I'm all ears because it was it was an interesting thing for me to um to think over, you know, because I started seeing Chugi on social media and at first I was like <laughs> I think maybe it was just from my my um <laughs> my ability and maybe obsession with like overanalyzing. <laughs> But I like really, t- I really took it to heart. So I was like, <laughs> "What is the theoretical meaning of this word?" And it took me down really a, a, a rabbit hole. And this, the article that I wrote, it took me longer than I thought it would take because I really, I really, really tried to give it, you know, the best think over that I could in like the short word count that I had and in. <laughs> the short amount of time that I had. So I, I want to know what you think okay. of what Chugi, what the issues around Chugi are. So as soon as I began to see this word emerging out there, I had to know everything about it. I had to read everything about it and also overanalyze it because that's like my hobby basically is overanalyzing things. And I just needed to think about this a lot. And so, you know, I think the initial, like, don't think too hard, just be very reactionary feeling a lot of people had about Chugi is that Chugi was forcing people to feel out of trend and buy new stuff. The first pass, the reactionary, like, I'm going to get mad feeling I think a lot of people had was like, oh, so what you're saying is that I'm out of style and I need to go buy all new clothes and you just want me to, what are you like, do you work for fast fashion? Mm -hmm. Right. But actually, I think, and maybe this is because I'm always I always end up at some like putting a positive spin on things space when I'm working these things through is I actually think if you really look at a lot of the things that people consider chuggy, not the arbitrary ones like lasagna, but the it's <laughs> like eat lasagna. It makes you feel good. Right. Um, or it doesn't, but just do it if you, if you like it. Um, but like the bigger picture things like Instagram is kind of chuggy and influencers are chuggy. And basically all of these tropes that allowed overconsumption to flourish and really functioned as free and occasionally paid marketing for fast fashion, they're all chuggy. Like chuggy is wearing this a different outfit for every occasion, having to have a new dress for every wedding, never being photographed the same in the same outfit twice on Instagram. That model of influencers encouraging you to always wear or buy something new and the swipe ups and all of this this culture of overconsumption and living everything for Instagram, that's all chuggy in my mind. I'm obviously trying to like I have I want to hear what you have to say about it. What do you think? Okay. So, chuggy, right? <laughs> it's a great word. Uh, it is, let's just start with the fact that it's an, it's an awkward word. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it doesn't it's, sound like anything good. You don't even need to read a New York Times think piece to know it's not a good thing. Right. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, when when you're taking uh, high school Spanish and your Spanish teacher is like all the words that sound like no are, you know, like the way she explains. It's like if it sounds bad, then it's a negative word, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, there's no like real rhyme or reason. But, yeah. So, um, 
it does sound awkward. And the thing that I couldn't find out about the just the word itself is like, you know, where, like how, how they came up with the word, which actually as someone who's kind of like into learning languages, I would like to know where that came from, but, but that's just me maybe. (laughs) Um, So the interesting thing that I thought was that the group of people who coined this term is a, a group of students from Beverly Hills High School. <laughs> I know, I know. From 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 2013. And you know what? The like them being high schoolers and like the location, I'm not even, you know, like that's a moot point to me because anyone can coin anything and you know, it it I don't even care so much. The 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 thing that interests me is that it's from almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So the word itself is outdated mm-hmm. to signify outdated style. And moreover, I think, you know, the very notion of fashion is changing styles. So there's kind of a lot to be said for, you know, what does it mean to change styles, you know, quickly or not quickly in this case, because, you know, when you think of Chugi, you're thinking of not changing styles quickly enough in a way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people use the word Chugi to refer to somebody who is, I don't know, wearing something that was from a few years ago, or even, if you're thinking about it in terms of micro trends, like on TikTok, then wearing something that's, you know, from a few weeks ago. Oh no. I know. How depressing um, is that? Uh, anyway. Well, you know, but the thing is, it's not the first time in history that that happens. Right. So we, we think of fast fashion as a very contemporary problem, but if you, you know, trace back some of its earlier roots, even in 17th, 18th century, the groups of people who had access to expensive fabrics and expensive embellishments and tailors who were able to, you know, make them a ball gown, a new ball gown for every, every week that there was a ball in the ball season, you know, the, it's not a it's not only a contemporary problem mm-hmm. it's just been exacerbated in the digital world in which we live mm-hmm. and with that come terms like chuggy because people as fashion is people try to you know group themselves into categories and group themselves in order to identify socially and so Chugi is kind of a way for some people to say that, oh, this person is completely out of fashion because they're wearing, you know, something, uh, they're wearing skinny jeans and skinny jeans are chuggy now because they, you know, they were in fashion for a long time and, you know, certain 
tassel earrings are chuggy and the, the wine mom font. <laughs> that one's been chuggy for a while. <laughs> right. <laughs> the wine yeah. mom font. So, so I, I kind of, I feel like, again, owing to my inability to, you know, I'm, or rather my ability to obsess about something, <laughs> I haven't necessarily come to any conclusions about this, but um, I think what's kind of important with this whole chuggy question is, you know, not so much that somebody might be wearing quote unquote chuggy style clothing, but the question is, are they thinking in a chuggy way that's, you know, goes hand in hand with that mm, clothing? So yeah. are you espousing those chuggy values of sweatshop labor? Mm-hmm. Are you espousing the chuggy values of, I don't know, throwing something out after wearing it twice? You know, what are the, what are the real issues here that chuggy is? And also, you know, seeing that it came out, this whole idea really made it to play during the pandemic as opposed to 10 years ago, <laughs> you know, yeah. when, when it was coined, that also says something here. Like it kind of tells you that 10 years ago, maybe this idea wasn't as important as now. And maybe, you know, part of it is that there's an industry push mm-hmm. to have chuggy as something that is, uh, you know, as a red flag for people to buy more there there's just like those are really the important questions here not when not whether or not somebody is you know wearing that chevron printed skirt right now yeah no i agree i like to look at chuggy being a positive thing like going back to the idea of like the chuggy values you know i think the chuggy behaviors the I look at them as a specific set of habits and sort of, I don't know, like a, it's like a reckless disregard <laughs> that a lot of us had for a really long time. I mean, I was a buyer in fast fashion. Everything I have done in my career is so chuggy right now to me um, because I see, you know, it was like you got to buy a whole new wardrobe for every festival. Here comes the festival collection. It's going to be semi-disposable and super culturally appropriative, you know, like that's super chuggy. Uh, encouraging people that, you know, like who cares if you are skinny jeans or not? Seriously, like wear what makes you feel happy, but maybe not encouraging people that they need like 25 pairs of skinny jeans, you know, at one time. And I feel like that whole pattern of behavior is is for me so chuggy because it feels so dated from a previous time certainly a time when the term was coined. Um, But I do, it does make me wonder if like now that you've brought it up, like is there a more sinister thing at play here? Because it, if we're starting to think things that are two or three weeks old are chuggy in a larger mass way, um, that just pushes up people to buy more stuff that they don't need. And that's concerning to me. Yeah. um, You know, it's not wrong to wear your sweater from five years ago. Yes. Um, It's not, 
it's not, you know, gross to be wearing your um, jeans from, you know, hey, if they fit you from 15 years ago. Go for it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, now, it, especially because, you know, what we do find is that um, fashion is cyclical. And so I was just thinking the other day when I was looking at some of the um, some of the the jeans and specifically jeans at the moment coming down like the runway and looking at what's in editorials. And I was like, man, wish I had kept some of those really low rise. jeans." That I, had. <laughs> I knew that's where this was going. <laughs> man. Yeah. 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 I was like, Ooh, I remember my butt looked great in those. I should have kept those. <laughs> but then, and then of course the, the next realization was like, yeah, right. I can't fit into that today. What am I kidding? <laughs> um, like, you know, come on me wearing my high school, like size two jeans, please. Yeah. Yeah. I hear um, you on that. But yeah, but so, but either way I was like, oh man, you know, I kind of do wonder what happened to those jeans in the end. Cause I mean, I don't particularly remember what I did with them, whether or not I took them to a thrift shop or if I had, you know, maybe traded them. Cause I did that too with friends sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, but ultimately, you know, if you do have those clothes and they still fit you and you are comfortable in them and you like them, then, then why not wear it? You know, we all have garments that we are attached to in some way because they bring forth memories or, you know, you have a specific story associated with with them or a specific person or a space or time associated with them. And, you know, there's really nothing wrong with that. And I think that's why this, this whole conversation and just in general, in what we do, on an everyday basis with fashion forward and with our own research um, is so important because, you know, people, people literally are interacting with fashion and dress on very personal levels Mm -hmm. every single day. Mm -hmm. And you don't always realize that, but, you know, sometimes it does take these, you know, quote unquote, chuggy clothes (laughs) to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I love that. I think that that is so true. It makes me think so much of being in middle school or high school where if you showed up in clothes you'd worn the previous year at school, everybody somehow remembered that. Or at least there was the fear that they would remember that. And you started to like – I think for a lot of us, we started to pick up a lot of bad habits there around – Know, like you have to have new clothes all the time, and if you wear the same pair of jeans to school the same multiple times in the same week, people will know, and they'll say something. And to be fair, there were people who would somehow know and say something. Um, that's a specific yes. personality right there. But we've all experienced that person, right? <laughs> so I definitely experienced those people because it was more than <laughs> you're more right than one it person. was more than one person I agree I was trying to be really optimistic <laughs> yeah no it was it was unfortunate but it was way more than than one person at least <laughs> for me um but yeah I mean I <laughs> I actually um in I think it was the f- 
the first year of high school for sure. I think it also maybe went into the second year of high school, but I would write down kind of like a short journal entry of what I was wearing um, that day or that week. And, you know, I, I wrote down, you know, pink, oh, forgive me for this one, but um, pink Uggs <laughs> with pink juicy sweatsuit and white quote unquote wife beater which aka we know is a very problematic very problematic but at the moment when you're in ninth grade and you see the simple life with paris hilton on tv oh man don't think about that you're taking me back this is Um, such a time capsule everything you're talking about right now (laughs) (laughs) i hope in a good way no in a good way Um, yeah it's just all on point Right. And so, you know, I would write this down because um, I knew that certain people in my friends group or even my non-friends group, maybe even more so, were actually paying attention to if you were wearing the same outfit more than once a week or the same sweater more than once a week or if you wore it the next week and I I literally heard people make comments about what other people were wearing and so that was that was basically like chuggy times a thousand at that point because think about it you have high schoolers not even grown people not adults these are high schoolers. These are impressionable young people who have taken the industry's message of being 100% up to date at all points in time so to heart that it affects their social relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that... I, I'm sure everybody who's listening to this is going to has their own stories about this, right? I think that uh, at the time when you're living that, it is you live in such fear of being the person who gets busted for wearing the same clothes again, and you can't see that there would be any other side of that. That like that is just how it is, right? This is the world we live in. We have to wear new stuff all the time or someone's going to be mean to us or a whole group of people are going to be mean to us. And I think that that is so, I don't know, just like beaten into us at that time that it's really hard to move away from it in adulthood. And some people do and some people don't. And how how do we get how do we get away from that as adults well you know it's it's a formative set of years right <laughs> for sure because you're really learning how to like navigate the world and you know for someone like me and i was coming from you know i was first i'm first generation american i'm first generation college student So in my family, you know, we're lower income. My parents did not have the extra money to go buy me a new outfit every week. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even, you know, those pink Ugg boots, I really had to put up a fight. Oh, when you were describing them, I knew that. Like, that was a luxury item. Yeah. (laughs) 
I had to, but, but, you know, I didn't understand that when I had gotten those in the uh, sales section in TJ Maxx, that my mom really had to think about how much she was spending on that. I didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, these are things where like, as high schoolers, like you're not thinking about how much your friend can spend on that or, you know, like did that outfit just like put out their parents like food supply mm-hmm. for the week or, you know, there, there are all these questions that um, impact the way that you behave at the time. And that kind of, you know, it can set an example for how you behave later. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe you're going to be more introspective and thoughtful about your decisions later on, which I believe that that's the way that I have grown to be. Um, And maybe, yeah, I'm not, I'm not perfect, obviously. So I do have like my fashion flaws as anybody does, but I think that, yeah, I think also because I've been privileged to be in this part of the fashion system, I've also been able to have more time and, you know, the ability to put thought into it. Um, But, you know, some people will really think about it and see what they can do to change later on in life. Um, And some people, some people might not. And, you know, it's kind of hard to see. Yeah. It's kind of hard to tell. It is. But I think it's not only self, I mean, self-reflection is definitely one part of it, but the other part is to be challenged on yeah. those thoughts. Yeah. And to be challenged, I don't mean it in a way that somebody goes to you and like, ask it in a very forceful way, but more having those ideas that may not be familiar to your thinking sort of like putting the seeds into your head that there is mm-hmm. other there are other type of norms um, because that is really what makes you reflective when there is a foreign idea that you can juxtapose against what you already have in your mind isn't that why it's difficult to have these algorithms and to be constantly constantly um, like pushed into the different pockets of internet and uh, Instagram and Pinterest and all that because we tend to be exposed I mean there is nothing new about it but we are tend to be exposed to the same ideas all over again which are not challenging those normative thinking patterns, but more reinforcing those. So it is the likeliness of being reflective to those ideas are much less likely. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think it's really important for us. You know, I we live in this world of influencers with massive following and that's a big chunk of what we're going to see on social media for a lot of different reasons most related to the algorithm but we have to remember that we all have massive influence on the people who actually know us 
who are our friends. And I think it's a really great opportunity for us to normalize some of this different thinking by, you know, showing and telling, you know, like wear the same outfit again and again and, you know, call it out, like blow everybody's minds with that. Or, you know, I I did a post about reusing shipping packaging and people were like, I've never even thought of that before. And it's Mm. like, okay, well, great. Like now you did. So, you know, like sharing information and practices and the way that we're changing and kind of breaking up with bad ideas that we've, bad habits that we've fallen into. um, I think that that can have a major impact on people around them. I think back to middle school when there was this one specific shirt from Express that a popular girl wore to school. And then next week, like 30 (laughs) girls had that shirt. And then the next week, like if you didn't have that shirt, like me, you were a total loser. And you know, like I, we have power in our like sort of micro communities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think to your point, you know, it's again, that, that issue of it, you know, again, dri- driving it home again, it's, it's the two way street idea, right? So if you can talk about it with others and for example, you know, <laughs> just do something really as simple as uh, using the hashtag, like normalize outfit repeating, <laughs> it, it, it can be, mm-hmm. you know, that simple. Will, will that, one use of a hashtag change the world completely. Um, no, let's be honest. It will not, you know, have the Gandhi effect, but, um, you know, the more people talk about it, the more the industry sees it. And if the industry sees it, they can change things. And then you can, effectively potentially create a positive feedback loop instead of getting stuck in, Mm -hmm. you know, the negative parts of the system repeating and then being talked about and then happening again and then being talked about again. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Well, it's been so nice to talk with the two of you today. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with everyone? Our eponymous zine, Fashion Forward, uh-huh. is uh, currently in its preview stages. So essentially we're wrapping up um, the the preview publication um, and the zine is designed to mirror the nonprofit organization itself in the sense that it's a hybrid publication that is full of great articles, short and long, from both academics and from industry professionals and from students, really from all parts of the world to just, you know, bring together in accessible information that is interesting and exciting and new things that you haven't heard of yet in the mainstream discourse. And um, we're really excited about it. 
what we're doing right now is just finalizing the preview. And this is just a short, um, a short section of the full first issue that's coming out later in the year. And the preview is going to be available um, digitally and kind of shows you what you can look forward to in the first issue. And it's also a way for us to raise funds in order to get the first issue to print. Um, because again, as you know, as a nonprofit, our, our funding, and as a new nonprofit specifically, our funds are limited. And we really think that this is a great initiative that has so much to offer people. And um, we'd like to provide that type of accessible, interesting information and, and resources to as many people as we can. So um, the preview issue will be available for purchase, or rather the preview issue is going to be open, um, but there's going to be options for pre-purchasing the full issue. And um, that is, again, we'll be raising funds to do the full publication digitally and in print. And there are going to be different levels of, um, you know, of funding that you can help us out with. The lowest level is just kind of just helping us fund in general. I believe that's, um, I can't remember if it's $5, Sarah, but then there's also um, the next level, which you can, essentially pre-ordered the first issue digitally. And then there's another level where you can get the physical copy. And um, there's one more tier, which will be for digital and physical. So kind of like the best of both worlds. And that would be like a really big help in, you know, funding this whole initiative and, and also keeping our symposium and some of the new sections of our website also alive. And um, another interesting resource that we're putting together is called the, the, um, the research room. And that's going to be recommendations, reviews of fashion media. And what we mean by that are books, films, um, anything that, you know, has a cultural societal take on fashion. And that's again, a way for people to just, you know, tap in, um, if they have five minutes to just, you know, find something quickly, maybe something new that they want to read, or if they want to take a deeper dive into something and go through a reading list and really find, you know, their niche in the fashion system. I think that's amazing. I hope that was, that was a lot. No, but it was great. <laughs> I, I love it. I like, I, I think that so many people are going to want to come and check that out. Because one of our frustration was, that magazines that are exploring fashion tend to be very stories for saying either Western oriented or very academic oriented. Um, but we really are, I think, exploring so many pockets of the fashion system that usually tend to be overlooked. Um, for example, we will have, um, interviews with um, Romani designer, um, Central European designers, 
as well as features of um, lesbian fashion uh, on TikTok by a Chinese scholar. Um, we have just all these very different um, authors on, um, we have Kate Sackless, uh, who's a mending activist. Um, we have pieces um, from India on workwear. So we really do have these very eclectic content that usually mm-hmm. are just not making the pages of fashion magazines. They tend to be kind of more timeless pieces, if you will. Um, and that is also the reason why they just they are overlooked because they're not necessarily seasonal. Nevertheless, a day or integral part of culture and society as fashion is mm-hmm. that sounds so cool i can't wait um i feel like you too should check out uh, my friend mp's magazine ungarbage i feel like you would really ungarbage. like it <laughs> um ungarbage and you can find her on instagram i believe it's ungarbage mag she lives in montreal cool okay will do and her magazine is really cool. I think you'll like it a lot. Thank you for yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for spending two hours with me. I'm so grateful yeah, for that. It's, it's, been, <laughs> it's been a cool conversation. Well, thank you so much for doing this. My favorite thing about working on Close Horse is I get to meet all kinds of new and interesting people I would have never met before. And we get to talk about cool and interesting stuff. And every conversation, I feel like, helps me piece together more what I'm thinking, you know, and challenges my thought process too. It's great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amanda. One of the most challenging categories of clothing in terms of sustainable options is athletic wear. Yet you you can't go out there and work out in a pair of jeans or you don't want to go for a hike or a long bike ride in a dress. Although, yes, I've done both of those. I have many regrets about it. Don't be like me. Wear athletic wear to do these things. Activewear isn't a nice to have. It's a need to have. And shopping for it can be so difficult, especially if you're a sustainability-minded, secondhand first kind of person, which I know you are. There should be a more affordable and sustainable way to purchase premium athletic wear. Well, guess what? I found one, and it's Revive Athletics. Revive Athletics believes clothing should make you feel good when you move, and that starts with how you purchase it. Shopping secondhand is the most sustainable way to shop, and Revive Athletics is committed to providing high-quality, premium athletic wear so you can feel good when you shop and you can feel even better when you move. Everything Revive Athletics sells is very gently used, and they carry a wide variety of sizes from extra small to 5X, and they offer all of the premium brands you've been scoping out, like Lululemon, Nike, Athleta, Girlfriend Collective, you name it. And while a pair of Lululemon leggings would cost you around $100 if you purchase them new, at Revive, you won't pay over $35 a pair. You're getting really excited right now, aren't you? 
Revive will also buy your gently used athletic wear and athleisure no matter where you are, and they'll send you a prepaid label to ship items into them. By keeping your gently used items in circulation, you're helping to reduce their carbon footprint. And that, that my friends, is the hashtag secondhand first lifestyle right there. All items are carefully inspected and cleaned with Defunkify, an eco-friendly detergent made in Oregon. And I know you were wondering about that. Are you glad I told you? Revive Athletics is committed to building and supporting community. They offer classes in their space in Portland, Oregon, and they also donate items to Rose Haven, a Portland day shelter and community center serving women, children, and gender diverse people experiencing the trauma of abuse, loss of home, and other disruptive life challenges. What an incredible place to shop. I mean, I know you're sold now. You're like, tell me more, Amanda. How can I shop Revive Athletics. Well, if you're in one of my favorite cities, my former home, the place I think of as my hometown, Portland, Oregon, you can shop in person at their store or you can go online at reviveathletics.com no matter where you live. And even better, I have a special offer exclusively for members of the Close Horse community. Use promo code REVIVEIT15 to get 15% off your first purchase. And don't worry, I will include that in the show notes so you don't have to run and grab a pencil right now. The next time someone asks you where you got your athletic wear, you can tell them, thanks, it's revived. And know that you made the best decision and saved a heck of a lot of money too. Once again, that's reviveathletics.com. You can also find them on Instagram at revive underscore athletics. Go check it out. I think you're going to love what you see. Thank you again to Doris and Sarah for spending so much time talking to me. It means so much to me. They've been informed that the Kickstarter for the Fashion Forward zine won't be starting until January. So I'll let you all know when it's happening because I'm really excited about it. I bet you are too. In the meantime, go check out their website. It's fashionforward.io to learn more about all the projects they have been working on. It feels weird to be talking about next year, but it is less than two weeks away, along with my move across the country. So I guess I'll end this last episode of 2021 by talking about one of my biggest priorities for 2022, making slow fashion accessible to everyone. And that includes making our community as welcoming and supporting as possible. How do we get there? Going back to my chuggy story about feeling like an outcast in college because I had the wrong clothes, I liked the wrong bands, this was a feeling that I had before college that never left me throughout my career. They say as you get older, you care less about these things, but I'm sorry, they're so hard programmed into us, it takes a lot of work to get away from them. Throughout my career, I was very aware that I came from the wrong background. I was the only person on the buying team with a kid. I was never thin enough, rich enough. I just wasn't enough. And what I was enough of was all the wrong things. But working on Clothes Horse actually makes me feel like I'm enough for this community, for all the work we're doing here. And I want everyone around us 
to feel the same way. I never want someone to feel like they're not enough, that they're not right for this movement. How do we do that? I think it starts with all of us recognizing that right now, the current version of slow fashion that exists, the status quo, it's not perfect, right? It's far from it. It's definitely not inclusive from a size, accessibility, and financial perspective. The truth is that participating in slow fashion requires a decent amount of privilege, no matter what version of slow fashion you're subscribing to, right? Because there are a lot of different ways. You can be a secondhand first person. You can be a I buy only from ethical brands. You can be a I sew all my own clothes. I upcycle, I, that kind of thing. And I really believe that true slow fashion is a blend of all of these things, right? All of those elements are inaccessible to a lot of different people. Participating requires a decent amount of privilege. Size privilege, because most slow fashion brands don't offer larger sizes, taller sizes, petite sizes. Financial privilege, because that stuff, the brand new stuff, costs a lot more. Sure, those brands might offer investment pieces, and that is a great way to look at it. But if you're struggling to pay your student loans and your rent and your childcare bills, well, investment pieces tend to be off the table. And so speaking to people and saying like, listen, if you gave up all your fast fashion clothes, you could buy more expensive clothes that will last longer. Of course, they love hearing that. But if they couldn't afford those more expensive pieces in the first place, even if they gave up all their fast fashion clothes, it's it's a moot conversation. And what does it do? It makes someone feel alienated. Like they aren't economically viable enough to be a member of our community. The privilege of time is another big one. Time to thrift, time to sew your own clothes, time to mend them, time to hand wash and line dry. All of that goes out the window if you work a lot, maybe even multiple jobs, if you have children, if you care for a family member, if you have health issues. There are so many reasons in which time is a privilege that so many people don't have. What are some other privileges there? Well, secondhand shopping is more difficult if you live in more rural areas, if you don't have a car, if you have mobility issues, if you don't have internet access or a computer or a credit card, and on and on and on. If you have small children, whew, good luck thrifting there, right? People turn to fast fashion because it's cheap, it's easy, and it's there, not because they're terrible monsters who don't care about doing the right thing. They care. That's why shaming others and passing judgment, telling them they're doing it wrong, these things don't work. And they only alienate people, preventing them from making these important life changes and joining our community. Because they feel like they'll never be good enough to work alongside us. That's not what I want. That's not what I want at all. There are a lot of ways we can make slow fashion more accessible, from helping others find secondhand clothing more easily, whether that's showing them online platforms, babysitting so someone can go thrifting, driving someone to the thrift store who doesn't have a car. We can share our sewing and mending skills with those who don't have them. We can pressure existing slow fashion brands to add more sizing. But what we cannot do, what will never make this movement stronger, and therefore prevent any real change from happening, is tell people that they're doing things wrong and make them feel bad about it. It just 
doesn't help. Coming in with the attitude that your way of life is superior to someone else's, 100% fail rate right there. (laughs) It's just like chuggy. But in this way, we're saying like, oh, I'm more ecologically minded or something like that. It's the same thing. We're going to be talking about this a lot more in 2022. So please stay tuned. I am also looking into platforms that would allow me to host live talk show style episodes with multiple guests and questions from a live audience, because wouldn't this be a great topic to discuss as a community? I think so. There are so many things to be excited about doing next year, and I'm grateful, so grateful to have all of you working alongside me. So see you next year, literally. Thanks for listening to Close Horse, written, researched, hosted, and edited by me, Amanda Lee McCarty. If you're enjoying yourself, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It always makes my day. And tell your friends. Get them to listen too. Thanks, as always, to Dustin Travis White for our music and audio support. Bye. (laughs) 